Assumptions. We all make them. I spend a lot of my time talking about overcoming assumptions. Want to know why? Hi, I'm Deva Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter. It's often said that we preach best what we need to learn most. One day it dawned on me. Yes, we do preach what we have yet to learn. And I've added to that. We teach best what we have learned the most. Today, we're going full bore into the world of assumptions. So pull up a seat. Let's chat. So years ago, I was in a singing group at a private Christian school. Now, those who know me in real life know that I don't hide behind the fact that I was raised in a very conservative, evangelical Christian home. Most of my youth was spent going to a charismatic church on Sundays with one hour long music and one hour long preaching. I've led singles Christian groups. I've been annoyed as men from the older single groups joined the younger single groups because they felt more at home around youth and enthusiasm. Add to the fact that I'm a second generation Air Force brat. My maternal grandfather was retired Army Air Corps slash Air Force. My father is retired Air Force too. They both flew in wars. One of my uncles was killed in Vietnam. Just telling you that, I've probably created an assumption in your head about who I am and what I believe. To my liberal friends, I'm a bit wacky. A conservative, a champion of Midwest politicians, and how they're a voice for the people who pay taxes and otherwise feel voiceless. To my conservative friends, I'm a liberal tree hugger who's okay with my taxes paying for people to sit on their butts doing nothing. Yep, I'm a solid moderate. Any ballot of mine is fully mixed with the parties I vote for and have even found myself leaning Green Party in state elections a time or two. It happens. For the record, I do make jokes about, you know, praise the Lord and pass the snake, although my church growing up wasn't that out there. Anyway, the point being, if you only had my upbringing to make an assumption about me, that assumption, it wouldn't be right because it's not right to who I am today. If you met me in person, you would have a different theory of me politically based on the subject at hand, and it would be a different assumption. Okay, back to the singing group. We were sent to a Christian camp for a few weeks one summer in Montana. They had this swing, one of those one-rope swings with the circle seat. They had this three-level platform. The top platform was probably close to 30 feet in the air. The eight of us show up to camp a few days before the kids start arriving, and we wander over to the swing and the platforms. Everybody was gathered on the first platform and started taking turns passing the swing up and having a go at it. Well, I just climbed up to the third level, told them to pass the swing up, and my first go, I swung down from 30 feet. What kind of assumptions would you make about me in that moment? That I'm a daredevil? I'm an adrenaline junkie? Maybe those are part of the truth. But the reality is, I knew I'd work my way up there eventually, so why not start there? Did that assumption cross your mind? Well, maybe, maybe not. But you just have to ask, and I'll tell you the answer. That day, someone refused to climb the swing. 
They watched from the sidelines and I commented in my 14-year-old expertness that some childhood tragedy probably caused them to be afraid of it. That's when one of the Sopranos, tired by my constant chatter and thinking out loud, told me that she was annoyed by my assumptions and ability to make stuff up in my head. I've spent the better part of three decades with that reminder of my assumptions. It's my Achilles heel. It's something that I constantly have to remind myself of, rein in people I work with over. Because it's my weakness, I see it in others. Because I see it in others, and I've had to learn to routinely check myself on this topic, because I have to make sure that I can practice what I preach. Some years ago, I was interviewing for a communications manager. We had a candidate come in who had about 30 years experience, was polished, decent writer, etc. But one thing drove me nuts in the interview. I didn't like her because, well, she was in a suit. She was wearing silk-threaded beads that were fraying. I couldn't understand how a person so polished would wear an accessory that was so disheveled. I was lamenting to my VP about it, and I was going to basically vote against a decent candidate because of one thing to do with her appearance. My VP looked at me and said, maybe it's her lucky beads. Yep, I was going to push to not consider a person who would largely be behind a computer, not seen by public. I was going to encourage people to not consider her over her beads. Silly, right? That's how our assumptions work. I see it all the time. Even worse, I see leaders in various forums encourage interview questions that cause assumptions and then use those assumptions to be the deciding factor in hiring people. The worst assumptions I've heard are teams telling managers they don't want to hire a perfectly qualified and respectful person because they can't see themselves having a beer with that person. Now, I'm all about work friendships. I've got great friendships from people with whom I've had the privilege of working, and I've had many more surface friendships with people who I've worked with. I've attempted to maintain friendships with people I've worked with, only to have them ignore me until they lose their job. You see, they make an assumption. They assume that because I'm a recruiter, I'll have insider information across many industries. I don't. They assume if they need to hire someone that I will know a person who fits the bill. Well, there's a reason that third-party recruiters bill 20 to 30% the first-year earnings when recruiting for you. Because each search is so unique that it's rare somebody is already in the back pocket. In my 20-plus years of recruiting, it's happened to me so rarely I can count it on one hand. But it's the assumptions we make. We all do it. I have a friend who's a professional opera singer. She's probably been professionally singing for close to 30 years. In those 30 years, she still takes voice lessons. You know why? She sings on key. She takes lessons because she's constantly being reminded how to breathe properly. Learning to combat our weaknesses, it's what we will do for the rest of our lives. Know what yours are. Learn to see them in others. Give others permission to check you on them. The big one I see in recruiting most often is assumptions. I can see it because it's mine. So here's some questions that I found recently that cause assumptions. All these questions were variations of questions around finding culture fit. So you ready for these doozies? Here they are. If you were an animal, what animal would you be? Describe something that is less than $20 that you can't live without. Would you rather ride a unicycle or a donkey to work? 
discuss the benefits and drawbacks of each. Do you think mummies should be slow or fast? Why? All of those questions, they popped up on a Google search. Actually, one was asked of me in an HR position online. And the irony is, is one site where I found several of these talking about culture questions. When you got to the end of it, it issued a warning about how to use them and to be very careful. Like seriously, if you have to issue a warning on how to use an interview question, let that sink in for a moment. That might as well be a no lifeguard on duty sign and deciding to swim during a riptide. Just don't do it. So let's break these assumptive questions down and what you can replace them with. So the first one, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Now, this question is generally asked for the interviewer to see how the candidate views themselves. It falls into what I call the clever question category. Candidates that answer this well, they generally have a witty or clever response. The interviewer is then swayed by the cleverness of the response and how it somehow relates to how the candidate behaves at work. It doesn't. And worse, what if the answer was really good? Remember me talking about the halo effect in episode 009? This is a great example of where it can start, and it can start to sway the entire interview. Try asking, in what type of work environment do you find yourself to be most productive? You see, if you want to understand how the employee sees themselves, then you should compare it to what they believe to be their optimal work environment. Discuss the merits and potential issues to what they seek and objectively look at your environment to see what matches and what might not and talk about those issues. Talk about the mismatch. Okay, the next question. Describe something that is less than $20 that you can't live without. This is truly a WTF type of question. It's a head scratcher. Now, if you were to ask me that question, I start mentally going through my house, and other than a nice block of artisan cheese, I'm really drawing a blank. This is one of those times in which if somebody asked me that question, I would give a wholly inappropriate response because, yeah, cheese. Did you know it lights up the same receptors in your brain as cocaine? I'm in HR. You can imagine how that response would go over in an interview. And really... What does that tell you about me at work? So that question sucks. Ask this instead. What tool have you discovered that made an aspect of your job easier? Again, prime the pump of work. They might be bringing in a home tool for use at work. You never know. But if you're at a logistics company, do you really want to hear about a utensil to peel garlic or organize kids' shoes or the dog they rescued from behind the supermarket? What does that have to do with work? But when you can direct the question to work and how they do their job, you'll pick up hints and tricks and you can use them yourself or give them some added advice on how to do the job. I mean, it really creates a discussion and a problem-solving discussion. Now, on to the next awful question. Would you rather ride a unicycle or a donkey to work? Discuss the benefits and drawback of each. Really? Because you're about to talk about the merits of donkey manure and flat tires. Does your job deal with compost and rubber? Okay, ask that question. It's seriously random. But here's a comparative question that you can ask. And it's directly related to the job. Something like, 
what are the differences when troubleshooting a RAID 5 versus a RAID 10? Or when operating a switchboard, do you naturally default to the manual one next to you or the one in the computer? Or even, do you prefer to call, text, or email a customer first when you're about to let them know there's an issue? Each of those will draw out a work-related thought process in which you can deep dive into how the applicant thinks and why they use the methods they do. And it's directly relatable to the position. And the final doozy for today. Do you think mummies should be slow, fast? Why? Hmm. Are we really going to talk about mummies from 1932 versus when Brendan Fraser took them on in 1999? I really don't want to bring Tom Cruise into this discussion because I haven't seen that version. And what if your candidate has no context as to why you asked this because they haven't seen any of those movies? I mean, seriously, do you have wrapped up cadavers walking around your office? No, you don't. So try this instead. Would you rather turn in a project late, but 100% complete, or a project 80% complete and on time? Use this type of question to dive into what's important to them. Cross-reference it to your culture and expectations of culture and communication. Ask how they would deliver bad news of being late or incomplete. Ask them what they would do to ensure it doesn't happen again. Ask them about their last project that was late or incomplete. How was that received? What did they learn? How did they grow from it? Can you see how these questions will cross-reference to the expectations of your culture in a tangible way? There's no points in creativity to try and figure out what a candidate means. You're talking about real-world and relevant things that happen to your office. That makes the difference. So I've got a challenge for you. As you interview and as you look at culture as a pivot point, Try looking at the unwritten rules of your company or your assumptions of what a person should know about the job or how they should perform their job. Then ask questions around that. Be flexible to their answer. Consider if they have an answer that contradicts yours, it doesn't mean they aren't flexible. It just means they're a product of their experiences. Talk about why you do the processes the way you do. Watch how they react, disagree, counter, agree, and even add to what you're saying. Have a discussion. We are using the flexible part of the rod now. The line is running out and you're pulling it back in with that reel. Have fun, enjoy it. And the final challenge, be brave. Hire the person who thinks contrary to you in some of those ways. Grow from it, expand your leadership skills, and learn a new thought process. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.